Hello, everyone, and welcome to our latest podcast. Today, we are live at the Global Syngas Technologies um, Council's Global Syngas Conference. Um, I'm joined here today by Karsten Ratke. Um, Karsten is the Global Head of Business Development and Sales for Disimkrup Ude. How are you doing today, Karsten? Very good. Thank you, Tyler. Uh, how are you liking the conference so far? Oh, I really like it. I've been here since 1999, every every single one, I think, except for one uh, during COVID. And um, it's really one of my favorite conferences uh, to go to. Well, if you've been coming since 1999, that's a good sign. I don't think you would continue to do something you didn't like for that long, right? <laughs> that's correct. <laughs> All right. So, um uh, let's get started with uh, kind of, well, well, I said your role, but uh, can, do you want to go into depth about what exactly part you play and, and maybe your history, your extensive history, actually, with this and crop? Yeah, uh, happy to do this. Uh, so, so um, yeah, I started I, uh, my whole professional life uh, really in this company. I started uh, 30 years ago at uh, ThyssenKrupp Ude um, at that time in uh, coal gasification. And I always say coal gasification in 93 was um, uh, pretty much as attractive as green hydrogen is today because the world was supposed to fade out of oil and gas at that time. And we were looking for clean coal technologies. And this brought me right from the beginning into syngas and into the applications, what you can do with syngas, such as going into ammonia, methanol, clean fuels. And uh, throughout um, those 30 years, uh, there was ups and downs. Coal was peaking, uh, then natural gas uh, with the shale gas boom uh, went down in cost. And therefore, the market changed from coal back to natural gas. And um, until we most recently in the last couple of years were hitting the sustainability uh, requirements much more severe than ever before and are now looking for the green, green or clean solutions, including blue um, and therefore, um, uh, all these different milestones in the history of syngas are coming back to um, a very uh, up-to-date reality today. So, I mean, uh, history is a circular thing, kind of repeating itself. Um, and, and now, I mean, the hydrogen and, and ammonia, and it's kind of the craze. Uh, so, I mean, that's a good background. So, what is what does your day-to-day -day look like uh, these days? Yeah, so um, uh, for me personally, I'm uh, I'm involved in our global um, sales and business development activities around the world, where we are looking at the different um, drivers in the different political or geopolitical systems. Um, we have markets that are depending on import, uh, such as uh, Asia and Europe. Uh, we are short of energy, so we have to import. And then we're looking at markets that are uh, long in um, uh, availability of primary energy carriers, such as North America is. And um, we are going to see more uh, uh, export of energy in form of hydrogen or hydrogen in other forms, such as ammonia or methanol, uh, from North America into Europe or into Asia, so that we are really balancing out supply and demand over the globe and um, in, in, my, in my own function um, taking care of this on a global basis I'm um, seeing exactly this supply and demand match uh, between uh, how we can get uh, energy from one uh, location to the other 
and uh, how we can make projects that uh, on the one hand uh, generate uh, green hydrogen or clean hydrogen based products into countries where we then would probably crack it back to hydrogen if it was ammonia or where we just uh, use the synthetic fuels that could be made in other countries as well. Okay. Uh, so I read something the other day. I believe it was 10... Um, um, the EU uh, wants to produce 10 million tons of hydrogen and export 10 million tons by 2030, I believe. Um, are those numbers you've heard? Yeah, so so Europe will be a net importer um, of energy, and Europe has decided uh, to go for hydrogen. And hydrogen um, in the pure form will have a disadvantage, so... Uh, it will be over long distances, usually first converted into a, a higher energy-dense um, product such as ammonia. So we always nowadays talk about hydrogen and its derivatives. Yeah? So it's hydrogen uh, when it is made uh, based on renewable power or based on uh, natural gas with carbon capture utilization or carbon capture and storage, which we then call blue but in both cases, it's um, uh, heavily, uh, um, significantly reducing the carbon footprint. And um, however, over short distances, you can use hydrogen as is. You can supply it via pipeline into, into the hydrogen users. But if it's over a long distance, uh, it goes via ship, for example, you will have to first transform that into a more dense um, uh, and uh, therefore more efficient uh, form. And their ammonia is making the race currently. Uh, the last two, three years, we have been looking at uh, what will be the most uh, efficient and cost-effective way. There's liquid hydrogen, there is um, LOHC, and there is ammonia. And among them, it seems today that nearly everyone is looking at ammonia as being the, the way, um, the favorite way to do it. But uh, there are also other possibilities to combine hydrogen with carbon and then create new hydrocarbons. And that could be for sustainable aviation fuels. Um, it could be for uh, methanol. And then via methanol, you can go to a whole a range of chemical products and uh, replacing um, you know, petrochemical by um, uh, clean methanol-based um, uh, products. So the... Um, the range of applications um, uh, based on hydrogen is uh, almost unlimited. Um, in, in the chemical world, uh, we, we always know it's not just hydrogen. We are really talking about hydrogen plus carbon, which is hydrocarbons. And the hydrocarbons are really um, the drivers in the entire chemical industry. So we all we need to do is once we have the hydrogen, to add the carbon um, um, from other sources. And uh, here we see two ways. One is CO2 recycling, uh, and the other way is uh, really the biogenic route where we'll take um, biomass or biogas, uh, so biogenic sources. So it's purely green carbon in that case. And that would be the ideal uh, solution for sustainability criteria. Uh, to really source the hydrogen green and the carbon green um, with biomass. And here we have a biomass gasification technology, for example, where we convert uh, woody biomass, lignocellulosic biomass into synthesis gas via gasifiers and then go from there into final products. And then we are... Um, uh, meeting uh, proven technologies at the back end because the back end 
has never changed over the last decades. Uh, so pneumonia synthesis or methanol synthesis has always been there. And now we are only making sure that the molecules that go into that are clean and not fossil-based in the long run. Uh, that's a good segue to which maybe this touches into a bit of your presentation. I mean, your presentation is focused on uh, what sin gas for the mobility sector. Uh, so uh, do you want to get into that a little bit more? Yeah, I'm happy to do that. So the mobility sector is one of those so-called hard-to-abate uh, um, uh, sectors. Uh, while it is possible to put, um, you know, um, certain um, uh, cl climate-neutral uh, energy carriers into the power industry already today, when it comes to uh, the, the mobility sector, like planes um, uh, or the cars um, or the trucks and all the machinery, um, they are typically today based on combustion engines and there is 1.4 billion cars out there and about 40,000 planes out there that are existing and have a huge value. And to just um, uh, go away from that and just hope for some electric mobility um, reaching 100% is a long, long way to go. Therefore, um, uh, I'm personally convinced that we will find um, a pie chart of applications and a big piece of that pie will still be um, utilizing the existing combustion engines like for, for the cars as we have them and for the planes as we have them. Uh, so we have to make sure that the fuel that goes into those existing um, combustion engines uh, will be green fuels. And, and um, therefore, the... Um, the path pathway does not necessarily be um, start, uh, need to be starting at the back end to say I need to change from combustion engine to electric drive. You could also say I stay with combustion engine but make the molecules that go in uh, the cleanest and greenest way possible. And, and one way we have been um, demonstrating now is um, to use uh, woody biomass, forest residues, um, straw, grass, um, uh, waste wood, um, and convert that via gasification into clean syngas and then take that syngas to go to what we call a Fischer-Tropsch uh, synthesis in which we convert gas um, into liquid products. And this is um, the prime target uh, currently for the aviation industry to look for so-called SAF, sustainable aviation fuel. Um, and that would allow the aviation industry to continue flying with the same flights that, <laughs> the same planes that brought us here to San Diego, um, uh, even in 10 years, but using SAF as a fuel, but in the same plane. And this SAF is then climate neutral to, a, to the largest possible extent, uh, because the, uh, the carbon and the hydrogen that go into the SAF are um, biogenic and renewable power based. And that makes makes the aviation industry um, sustain the existing 40,000 planes and more to, to be added without um, uh, without uh, uh, neglecting the uh, transition also for sustainability topics on the aviation side. And you can you can continue with that. We are currently um, building a project uh, in uh, in Middle East where we make green gasoline. So you can also go instead of a Fischer-Tropsch pathway using the methanol pathway and then go from methanol into gasoline. So you could 
you can then do the same thing. Um, start with green um, or clean uh, hydrocarbons that go into the methanol synthesis. And then uh, once you have the methanol, which is then clean methanol, you add downstream methanol to X. And one of the X's could be methanol to gasoline. Uh, we've built the first one in 1981, uh, at that time for Mobil, today ExxonMobil in Germany. And uh, today uh, we are building one, as I just mentioned, um, that will be then making green gasoline. So the um, technologies are ready um, because they are not really new, uh, but the, um, the feedstock will be different. And we are going more into recycling and or biogenic uh, um, feeding uh, of those feedstocks. Yeah. So the, because the thing, at least from my understanding with SAF, is it's a drop-in fuel. So a lot of planes can, or they can already operate on certain, I think it's like 50-50 blends or something like that for the time being. So is that going to be the same kind of thing for like green gasoline to where I could just tomorrow say, okay, I'm just going to put this in my gas tank back home and it would be completely fine. Yes, you can do it today um, uh, already, and it's 100% drop-in. So the gasoline that comes out of a methanol-to-gasoline uh, unit is 100% as it is uh, drop-in and will be combusted in your regular engines. Um, uh, on the uh, Fischer-Tropsch side, when you talk about the 50-50, um, that is based on the current regulations and certain um, um, programs we have to go through but the um, drop-in ability is already there today. And um, the uh, entire aviation industry has a, has a significant interest, of course, in, in such a market. We forgot to talk about the third element in mobility, which is the ships. Yeah? So we have the planes, we have the cars, and, and now we, if we go to, to, to the maritime sector, we have um, another huge opportunity because this is one, one of the worst... Um, um, emissions that we currently have uh, from uh, heavy fuel oil in big ships that um, uh, that, that is used uh, as the main fuel uh, even for the cruise liners if you look uh, they have diesel and some of them really um, have a lot of soot uh, when you are on the cruise ship you sometimes see uh, um, uh, these um, sprinkles of that everywhere and uh, one way to to also clean up the entire um, shipping industry uh, is to, to change also there the feedstock. And here uh, people are looking at ammonia um, that could be especially in, of interest for freight ships or container ships. And then uh, for the uh, passenger ships, you will find we will currently uh, see a lot of projects getting realized that are based on methanol. And then in this case, methanol will not be converted into another product such as gasoline or so. It will be combusted as is. And methanol is a fuel and you can use it today uh, in combustion engines um, or even go into um, fuel cells and then go back to um, electric drives. So you could reconvert the methanol back into electricity in a fuel cell uh, on board of the ship and um, uh, we do that already in in submarines um, where that are fuel cell driven uh, today for many many years uh, where you use um, um, you know a fuel cell to go into an electric driven uh, um, uh, ship engine uh, which is an alternative so you can combust it 
um, and if as long as the methanol has then been made a clean way, then the um, emissions that come from the combustion are climate neutral. Um, and if you go for electric drive, you can even reconvert it back to an emission uh, less, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, power power driven, uh, um, electric power driven uh, ship. Sounds promising. Absolutely. So let me ask you, why would what's stopping? Because if we have submarines uh, uh, running on, um, I guess, fuel cells uh, already and um, you can have methanol for the uh, smaller, what did you say, uh, uh, do you say freighter crews? Um, yeah, so so I think the it's more an acceptance thing currently. Uh, people consider methanol as a fuel similar to diesel, and it's therefore easy to accept in, um, uh, let's say, in a big cruise ship with thousands of people. Uh, you know, no one would, I would personally not uh, make a difference if I'm sitting on a ship that has diesel or methanol in, in the fuel tank. But ammonia is considered as a as a, as a more new, novel um, fuel for those types of applications. So I think we will see uh, more of the ammonia applications in um, the container ships or in the freight ships uh, as a fuel. Um, and methanol will probably find its applications uh, first in um, the mobility sector where people, passengers and, um, uh, you know, uh, the handable uh, solution will be in the foreground. Having said that, uh, it should be also very in, important um, here uh, to mention that there's about 170 ships already worldwide shipping ammonia around the world because ammonia has always been a base chemical mainly going to the fertilizer industry and has um, uh, been uh, shipped around the world for many, many decades. Therefore, the handling of ammonia will not be new. Uh, so we know how to make it, we know how to store it, we know how to transport it, how to ship it, and how to uh, offload and um, uh, and unload it back at the uh, import uh, harbor. So ammonia transportation is something that uh, the chemical industry and fertilizer industry especially is very uh, used to and really, uh, very well aware of and uh, that on a global basis. Uh, about 19 million tons of, um, of ammonia are being shipped today um, every year um, and therefore the uh, transition from, from that to a wider um, uh, use case, not just fertilizer and chemicals but also to the mobility sector and to the energy sector is based on something that is well established already. Um, so ammonia and methanol are going to be both players in the future for um, sustainable uh, chemical products based on you know, green hydrogen um, or clean hydrogen sources. So speaking of uh, clean hydrogen, um, Disincrep Uday, you just signed an um, engineering service contract with was it Hive Energy. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, Hive Energy um, is one of uh, uh, our projects. We have uh, dozens of projects in our pipeline currently uh, looking at the uh, application of um, green um, power, uh, renewable uh, power, uh, converting that into ammonia. So the first step normally is you have wind or solar or hydropower um, uh, available make green hydrogen through an electrolyzer. The electrolysis process is not doing anything else than separating 
uh, H2O, water, into hydrogen and oxygen. Once you have the hydrogen, you can use that to make ammonia. Ammonia is nitrogen plus hydrogen. And in this combination, you take the nitrogen from the ambient air um, and combine it with the green hydrogen from a renewable power source. Um, and then you have two carbon-free elements, nitrogen and hydrogen, recombined to make ammonia. No carbon in the entire chain. And then with that, you can then go around the world, uh, in the, um, as we just discussed, into the supply chain and say, I'll ship that ammonia, for example, from Australia or from um, uh, North America or from any other Middle East countries where um, there's a much higher availability of renewable power through solar or wind or hydropower even and then bring that green ammonia uh, to those countries um, and regions where we are short of energy. And this would be Europe or um, uh, uh, or uh, Asia, where the ma main targets are. We have a similar situation currently also within Europe, where Norway um, is a country that is rich of natural gas, oil, and um, uh, hydropower, and uh, wind power as well. So they have... Um, a very, very high degree of renewable power supply and can become an exporter um, into Europe to other European countries. And we will, we will probably find two ways how to bring that energy from Norway, for example, to Germany. One way is uh, through a direct pipeline. It would bring uh, um, hydrogen through pipeline into the offtake scenario in Germany. And the other uh, route would be by ship, and then it's, it's ammonia and maybe methanol that we are looking at, that uh, Norway could become an exporter uh, of energy into other countries uh, through um, uh, ammonia, methanol, and hydrogen directly. And would a pipeline be enough? I mean, I imagine a pipeline would be uh, close enough to most countries in Europe to you be able to use a pipeline, right? But any further than that, and we're talking about a ship? Yes. That's exactly right. So, so um, there's a certain limit where the uh, transportation of hydrogen via pipeline, for many many reasons, you know, you have to have um, right of way, you have to own the land, you have to get the permits done, and if you are doing that across borders, you will have a lot of um, uh, issues to to deal with. So, uh, at a certain point, it it's better to then make it um, almost like a global product and convert it first to to, to a commodity like ammonia, put it on a ship, and then once it's on the ship, you can ship it a thousand kilometers or ten thousand kilometers. It doesn't matter uh, because once it's on the ship, it's just um, you know uh, additional cruise time, and then you will have the same product um, at any point in uh, in the world where you want it. Hy hydrogen pipelines, of course, are limited to you know where you can build them and how long you want to do that. Um, uh, so, so I would say both will happen, short-range, uh, mid-range with, with hydrogen systems. We will have hydrogen grids uh, popping up everywhere. Um, uh, countries are going to build grids, and over time we will have, similar to natural gas grids, we will have much more hydrogen via pipeline grids. Um, and, uh, and there then also, even there, ammonia will play a role. So you now bring large quantities of ammonia to import uh, terminals and then build an ammonia cracker that cracks that ammonia back to hydrogen at the import terminal. And then you can feed that hydrogen, uh, no longer ammonia, but now back to hydrogen, into that pipeline grid 
and then you will have probably from northern Germany uh, in Brunsbüttel, Rotterdam, Wilhelmshaven, uh, or in, in Rotterdam in the Netherlands, you will have um, uh, landing terminals where big ammonia quantities um, will be uh, coming into what was LNG in the past uh, or is today will in future be then ammonia um, and will be a carbon-free energy and that will be um, bringing uh, uh, then uh, via cracking the hydrogen into the hydrogen offtake situation. Of course, there's also the op option that you can use ammonia directly. Uh, you can use ammonia in a combustion uh, um, uh, um, a plant and um, co-feed that or in the future also have only ammonia as a feedstock on a gas turbine and then make electricity from ammonia which has no carbon emission. So there's no carbon in the whole chain. If the ammonia is green um, and it has been uh, brought into a power plant and is burnt as ammonia, um, it will only make um, uh, N and H um, based emissions and no C based, there's no carbon in the whole mix. So no CO2. So therefore that is a, a, another way to look at is to really use ammonia just for power generation. So ammonia is really a, a game changer here. Should change the podcast to NH3 talk instead of... <laughs> 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 True. <laughs> yeah. Well, in the end, you know, hydrogen is the basis, and um, you know, I would say adding the nitrogen, which is, uh, as we all know, seventy-nine percent of the air we are breathing while we are talking here is nitrogen from the air. It's uh, it doesn't do harm, uh, and it goes back to where it comes from. Uh, so we are recycling um, air, if you want, and add. Um, add the hydrogen that needs to be then as clean as possible um, and if, 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 if possible it should be coming from renewable power through electrolysis but uh, bridging over um, to have enough of that available we will see a lot of fossil fuel based uh, meaning natural gas based hydrogen as well and there uh, we would just need to make sure that we are capturing the CO2 uh, at the source. So we are making um, steam methane reforming or autothermal reforming as we have done for the last hundred years and uh, use natural gas to put that in, take the CO2 then out and not let it emit to the air but rather put that underground or make carbon capture utilization and use the CO2 for further products. Um, and then use that uh, so-called clean hydrogen rather than green hydrogen as the basis to make ammonia. So we, we in, in Europe, we do it a little bit different. We call it blue and green and gray. And in the US, I understand it's more and more driven by carbon intensity. Uh, it, it means the same thing. We are looking at um, uh, fossil-based with carbon capture and uh, utilization or storage versus a really renewable power-based, electrolysis-based hydrogen. So those are the two two things. If you give it a color name or carbon intensity name, it means the same thing. Technology is the same. It's just a way how you want to cluster it or categorize it, but it's in the end the same thing. Yeah. I mean, yeah at the end of the day, that's the emissions is the important part, not necessarily the... Well, uh, Karsten, that's really all I had for you today. Uh, do you have any closing thoughts? Anything you want to get off your chest? Well, I would I would say I'm personally excited about this whole thing. You know, I'm um, uh, you know you can call it uh, hydrogen, you can call it syngas, you can call it whatever. It's in the end um, a major contribution to the sustainability um, uh, task we all have. 
we, um, we have a good uh, chance to fight the climate uh, change um, if we do the right measures. And uh, if I just look at this conference here, how that has um, developed over the last four or five years to go away from uh, our conventional topics to now every everyone and every paper is now addressing how to how um, the speaker's company can support fighting the climate change uh, with the technologies that are available and um, i think we have certainly the right attitude here in in this at this conference and i believe we will find um, our contribution to to help here so um, um, i'm looking forward to um, to, to this uh, conference uh, today and tomorrow as well as uh, to see how many projects will ultimately um, uh, make a major contribution in the in the in the near future uh, i think we're all looking forward to everybody here i think we're all kind of looking forward to the same thing to see how everything um, pans out so, uh, but i'd like to thank you sincerely for doing this taking some time i'm sure you you have a lot of people you'd like to talk to in, uh, at the conference, so I appreciate you taking some time to speak with me. Thank you very much, Tyler. It was um, a pleasure, and I'm looking forward to our next interview, uh, maybe in uh, at one of the next conferences. All right, that sounds good to me. And thank you for the listeners for tuning in to another episode. Please remember to share and subscribe.